Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Welcome to today's show. We have Mr. Scott Brinker with us. Scott, how are you doing, sir? I am great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Mark. So Scott, this is your first time on the show. So definitely looking forward to having you being a contributor on the Partnernomics show. But uh, Scott, I'd love to just jump right in. For those that might not be familiar with you or your background or the awesome work that you've done, the great blogs, the great thought leadership that you've put out, I'd love for, for you just to share uh, a little bit about your background and kind of what you do. Sure. Uh, so my background is, uh, you know, professionally been as a software uh, entrepreneur. Uh, I built like an early web development company, uh, built a SaaS company for uh, uh, marketers. I'm currently uh, the VP of platform ecosystem at HubSpot, helping HubSpot do a better job of being able to integrate with all the other amazing software tools out there in the business stack. Um, but so that's, that, that's my uh, a hat by which I actually earn a living. Uh, the other hat is, yeah, for about 15 years here, I've just uh, kind of been like an armchair analyst, advocate, enthusiast, whatever you want to call it, uh, obsessive, compulsive, like passionate hobbyist uh, around just this intersection between marketing and technology. Uh, certainly all the technologies that you know have sprung up uh, in the MarTech space, but even more so how these new technologies have just been changing the way marketing runs and the, the, the actual dynamics of modern marketing. Yeah, I, mean, I absolutely love the work that you guys do at HubSpot. We've been a client since our inception for many years and absolutely love what, what you're doing. You know, we've all heard software is eating the world, but what's so, I think, awesome from a partnering perspective is now we all get to work together. At least there's a greater opportunity for us to work together through APIs and other technologies to, to make that easy button even bigger for clients. Now we can start to stack these different uh, software programs together. And I know your team does, does a lot of that work and allows it to, to come to fruition for, for HubSpot uh, clients. And then your thought leadership that you put out here is, is awesome. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. So really looking forward to having your contributions to this. So with that, let me set up the, the, the stopwatch here and let me fire the first question at you. And that this is, is like a game show. I love this. Okay, it totally, gotta stop is. Watch. <laughs> it totally is. Uh, no code. I absolutely love this topic. But the question is, for no code, will this massive proliferation of no code, uh, these capabilities, will it decrease the demand for coders? Yeah, great, great question to start out with. Um, so the, the short answer is no. Uh, in fact, actually, if anything, it's uh, probably likely to like feed uh, the demand for uh, you know not just coders, but really any kind of expert who, you know, if we, we go back to where we've been coming from, it's like if general business users or marketers wanted to get things done, you know, for anything from like, oh, building this web experience, or I want this little workflow, or, you know, I, um, yeah, I uh, want to do some sort of data analysis to answer a question, you know, like for a long time, it's like anything that was going to get that sort of technical in nature, they had to like file a ticket, wait for someone else who could do it for them, you know, outsource it to someone. And, it, and for things that were fairly needy and sophisticated, that actually makes sense. That's, that's totally what you want to do. But there were all these cases of things that like, 
oh, wow, I'd really like this, or hmm, I have this idea or this question about this. But to be honest, the idea or the question or what they want to do was relatively simple, but it almost wasn't worth going through the effort of, yeah, okay, we should file a ticket for this, or we should hire a team to do this. You know, and to me, this is really where no code shines is it's basically empowering marketers, general business users, not to like solve the complicated use cases that we still absolutely have a ton of and, you know, really rely on experts uh, to do. But it's for all the non-expert use cases of, I just want to get this landing page up, or I just want to have this little workflow that when someone comes in on this landing page, I wanted to trigger this thing over in Slack, you know, and to have these tools now that let more and more of us, yeah, just kind of like bring these things to life. I think it's, it, it's a huge expansion of net productivity. Uh, but it in no way is taking away from, you know, pro developers. In fact, if anything, I think it actually helps pro developers because let me tell you, as a former pro developer myself, right? I mean, pro developers, we like working on pro missions, you know, and, you know, if you're not if building you landing a, pages. <laughs> yeah, find a find, find, yeah, a web developer out there who's like, ooh, I would really love to like make a hundred variations of a landing page for the marketing team today. It just, Anyway. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I could not agree more, right? So having spent time with a Fortune 50 and in small business, how many times have we said, oh, don't even don't even mention that it's going to require development time or development dollars, you know, development resources. So just don't even worry about it. But then we've also talked about, uh, as an economist, how many times I've heard, well, robots, right? Robots are going to take people's job. Well, somebody has to program them. Somebody has to build them. At the, you know, our, our uh, unemployment rate is arguably as low as it's kind of ever been. Granted, in the middle of the pandemic, that, <laughs> that causes some issues, but I don't see jobs being taken away. But absolutely, to your point, I'm totally with you. I think the no-code piece just uh, really improves or just really highlights all of the additional opportunities that's going to come from teams being able to use data, use the information, uh, make all of this electronic, make things more scalable. If anything, I think it's just only going to, to add to that. Uh, to, to share a quick blast from the past, I remember uh, one of the first businesses that I started up right around 2000, I used Microsoft front page to help me write, you know, build a website. I didn't know the first freaking thing about coding, but that was kind of my first foray into, if you want to call it no coding, right? Just kind of dragging and dropping and building out a website wow, look at all the capabilities that are out there today for professionals. Yep. And I think actually it helps bring technical professionals and business users a little bit closer together because often one of the biggest gaps that had existed there was just the translation of, oh, I have this idea in my head, but how do I, you know, describe it in a way that, you know, is concrete requirements to get built, right? You know, ages of, you know, craziness of missed understandings there, you know, but with like no code, even for just a business user to be able to describe things, you know, more in the context of a software language or to even like mock something up in a no code tool, not meant to be like, you know, the actual production thing we'd be create, but just as a way to help communicate the idea. Um, I think it just bridges that communications gap. Uh, and that's a really good thing for everyone. Yeah, no question. No question. Good stuff. All right. All right. We ready for uh, question number two? Yeah, I've, I've got one for you. All right. Um, Fire uh, away. Near and dear to my heart here. So marketplaces, uh, you know, uh, certainly a topic, uh, you know, in the news. Um, 
I'm curious, we, do you see marketplaces extending to resellers to the point where partners will like transact from a digital marketplace and then resell, implement end user solutions without ever having a real-time engagement with like the ISV or the vendor? I mean, is this, yeah. is this future near, far? <laughs> uh, I, it's, 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 it's interesting to me because I am just now starting to hear some of our clients say this. And actually, the surprise is that it came as a surprise to them. So in particular, I'm thinking of one client that's in the massive client that's in the security space and uh, downloadable software to, you know, for, for security and just the massive efficiencies of having the marketplace not having to have this synchronous transaction, but just somebody can go into it 24 seven, buy five, 10, 15, a thousand licenses, whatever the number is, but, but do that transaction from a very, you know, from this, from this platform in a very efficient manner. And then now they can go on and, and provide their value add services, whatever those are. Uh, honestly, I never really put a lot of thought into this topic beforehand, but why would it be any different? you know, than what we do for, for our very own clients. So uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like this is going to, it's such a massive time saving, such a massive opportunity, scalability. I totally think that we're going to see this continue to evolve as a trend. Love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And this is probably a theme we'll, we'll, we'll touch on again in this chat too, you know, but it's like, there's all these ways we've had of doing business that, you know, go back tens of years or in some case, hundreds of years or thousands of years, you know, uh, a certain amount of them just, you know, like, you know, cultural approaches to how we get things done. Uh, and that's good. I mean, th th there should be a certain respect for, you know, uh, uh, tradition and culture and all this, but at the same time, yeah, what's happened with digital technology is it's just enabled a set of possibilities for how we transact and do business that weren't ever even like conceivable, certainly nowhere near possible before, you know, and over the past decade, couple decades, you know, it's sort of been rising up of like, yeah, we see these digital tech, yeah, we could do it this way, but, you know, culturally, you know, traditionally, this is the way we do it. So we're just sticking with that. Um, and then, yeah, the craziness of the pandemic, which, you know, again, just uh, a, a, a ton of not good things, you know, from the pandemic. But one of the things that, yeah, I guess was a silver lining in the context of, you know, digital thinking and digital strategies, people just forced into a mode where like, okay, well, the old ways, the traditional ways we would think about doing this, actually, we can't do them that way. So what's our alternative? Oh, well, let's give this digital stuff a try. Um, and all of a sudden, like people started realizing, like, oh, you know, this this can work. And actually, you know, we thought it was going to be less, you know, of an experience for reasons X, Y, and Z, but we're actually finding in many ways it's a better experience because of reasons A, B, and C. And I think what's going to happen here is hopefully we navigate our way out of, you know, the, the, the past couple of years of, you know, macro craziness, you know, is it's going to be this really interesting time where we start to, I just think, get very innovative about how we blend some of the traditional and cultural ways we'd approach, you know, certain business, uh, you know, engagements in the past. And now that we've had a taste and some experience of what's possible on the digital side, and where do we find the, the, the blend between those? 
I, I think it's just going to be a lot of experimentation and innovation, you know, across many fields, but certainly in like partner networks, uh, reseller channels. Um, yeah, the game is afoot. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how uh, you had mentioned, Scott, that we were kind of just forced into this, right? I mean, the pandemic, you didn't have a choice. And so much whenever I think of technology adoption, uh, it's kind of like this cultural thing and, and you have to kind of be slow and make sure that people are comfortable with it as you're moving it along. With COVID, we didn't have the opportunity for that. So it's kind of like sink or swim. You got to figure out how to at least doggy paddle or you're going to be in big trouble. What I found really interesting going back to you know several years ago, whenever we would talk to folks literally all over the world um, about working with us, partneronomics, we use uh, video conferencing. And it was, I was, it's funny to think back now how much time we spent trying to get people comfortable with believing that their teams could work on video conferencing. Well, now everyone's like a pro at Zoom and Teams and all these other things. So it's amazing what we could do if we're forced into that. But now we look back in this crazy science experiment that we call COVID uh, that's forced us to work remote, but really become more reliant on uh, technologies. You know, wow, what a different uh, world it is now from, from a technological perspective and a collaboration perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I'm again, I'm where I'm just the most excited about this is the, the hybrid future, um, you know, and how we blend uh, the best of both. Um, I mean, this is completely what, what do they call that, like, uh, is it Terran cognitive? It's like, yeah, we're, 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 we're sailing out into an ocean, not quite sure it was on the other <laughs> side of the ocean, but we are determined to discover it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's an adventure. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I'm going to have a question for you on that one uh, for our next episode. But here we go. Question number four that uh, uh, you get to pose to me, and then we'll be wrapping up for, for this episode. Yeah. Okay. So this one was, um, I was thinking about this the other day, of this whole concept of governance. You know, and that's one of those words that usually when people hear, it, they're like, oh, God, governance, <laughs> you know. And I guess that kind of leads me to the question of like, is governance underappreciated? Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's what's interesting is like the word governance. It's almost like kind of the word partnering. It's almost like kind of time out. What does it mean to you? Whenever you think of partnering, what does it mean? Whenever you think of governance, where does your brain go? And so, you know, working with a Fortune 50, one part of my brain goes to, uh, you know, regulatory and compliance and all these pe you know places. As, as a partnering professional and somebody that's done a lot of truly strategic uh, partnering, my brain goes to, okay, so a lot of innovation, working with other organizations, uh, we need to have executive support, we need to have this channel where we could pull these executives together, make decisions, keep them informed as to what we're doing. Uh, generally speaking, yes, absolutely. I think that governance is underappreciated, but from from multiple lenses and multiple layers. One of those, and one of the things that we coach folks on uh, here at Partneronomics is just, if you are embarking upon a truly strategic partnership, right, high innovation, uh, there's, there's not a script written for it. There's lots of opportunities for things to go wrong, high collaboration, gonna need a, a lot of communications. You need to have uh, you know, channels, connections into the, the respective executives because a lot of decisions are going to have to be made. You need to keep them you know, abreast of, of how things are transpiring and have their support and their horsepower 
uh, to get things done as you continue to, to move this conversation forward. But I know in a, in a recent blog and a recent uh, thought leadership post you put out, you talk about this, this question, but more from a technology side. So I'd love to get uh, your take on this as well. Uh, governance and kind of what's the bigger picture of governance or how do you think of it? Yeah, well, in some ways, this goes back to, you know, the very first question uh, you opened with around no code. It's like, oh, wow. So now we've got all these in tools to like empower people to do all sorts of stuff, you know, <laughs> uh, yay. <laughs> but then like the very next question is like, oh, my goodness. So how do we manage all that? How do we keep track? How do we make sure this stuff is good? That's not, you know, running into the Wild West. Um, and the answer to that question is governance. And I think, you know, yeah, there's some very interesting software solutions that are coming up to help us get our arms around, you know, the governance challenge. But yeah, ultimately that is a tool that's still in the service of, you know, governance as, you know, a organizational, uh, you know, capability and the people and the processes who run that. And I think one of the things that occurred to me the other day was, um, so I've, I've you know, my, my, the love of my professional life has been marketing operations people, you know, and for a long time, marketing ops was just really underappreciated because yeah, we needed them for certain stuff, but it wasn't really considered what real marketing was all about, you know? And so they were doing all this work, but not getting a lot of love. Now that's changed actually. In fact, it's accelerated its change over these past few years where like now people are recognizing, oh my goodness, so much of what we're running in marketing, you know, depends on this infrastructure, you know, and operational capability. The marketing ops people are becoming heroes, partly because they're leveraging all this technology to be able to amplify, you know, the number of things we're doing and the capabilities. But it's interesting at the same time that the ops people are now finally becoming heroes, they're getting some appreciation this explosion of the both the complexity uh you know in the digital firm but also just the acceleration the speed of which things are moving it's now sort of shifting the burden into this governance layer and at the moment the governance folks probably aren't particularly appreciated either but i'll, I'll bet 20 dollars here that if we play this out you know three years from now um yeah you know governance as a as a discipline as a profession as a capability inside the organization they're, they're going to be heroes well it seems to me at least from from my seat from my vantage point over definitely over the last decade uh marketing has really been turned into a science with the ops folks, with data, with being able to see that cause and effect. And it's like, okay, so now we know where to go spend our money, spend our resources, the next investments that we need to make in marketing so we could get particular ROI. Uh, but now in this partnering world, now we're starting to, well, another term that's near and dear to mine and your heart, and that is ecosystems. Now we're seeing more and more and more companies working together but now we kind of have people thinking about the, the liabilities and these other pieces and, uh, you know, on the fintech side, the financial services, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the most heavily, uh, you know, regulated uh, industries that's out there. So, so many compliance issues with them as well. Uh, this, this governance world will help them hopefully better manage that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, sharing your insights. Uh, been a quick in and out, but I'm already looking forward to the next time we get to do this. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks again for having me. Love the chat. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. 
To learn more about IOLite, visit IOLitePro.com. And Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about these suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit Partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.